Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 294 of the Spoiler Alert podcast brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. I'm Danny, and I'm here with Mike, and tonight we're discussing 1967's Best Picture winning film, In the Heat of the Night, starring Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing really well. Um, this was one of the Best Picture uh, films, winners that I, I'd never seen, right. and I have been actively waiting now years through our podcast yes. <laughs> to get to this one. Yeah. This is one of those ones when the Best Picture Choosing Machine spat it out. It was like, yes, I'm very excited. I too was excited to see this one. Also one I had never seen before. One that I knew actually quite very little about. Yeah. But excited about and Sidney Poitier. I definitely have always had this on my list and have just never gotten around to it yet. The podcast forced us and I love it. It, it was time. Yeah. Um, and, and this was a big movie. I mean, this was nominated for seven Academy Awards. Um, it was nominated for Best Director and Best Sound Effects, which it did not win. But it won five. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for Rod Steiger, Best Adapted Screenplay, and then Best Sound and Best Film Editing. So this is a, this is a big, well-received movie. Uh, lots of critical acclaim. It's on a bunch of the AFI's, you know, top lists. Yes, and uh, actually, I think Sidney Poitier's character of Virgil Tibbs is like number 16 on like the greatest heroes of all time list from AFI. He's also he's also uh, on the AFI list for 100 years of 100 movie quotes at number 16 for the yeah, quote, yeah. they call me Mr. Tibbs. They call which, me Mr. Tibbs. You know, you yeah. see every year in the, uh, the Oscar uh, ceremony melange of, of movie clips and quotes over the years it's it's always uh it's always in there yeah i mean 53 years later that's still that quote still resonates um and of course the film uh when we talk about it is very timely for us to be discussing here in 2020 you know again more than 50 years later highly relevant uh for us sadly be... sadly so right yes I, but before we get into the movie before we go any yeah. further on this topic can i just say how weird i think it is that that quote is like number sixteen on the top one hundred list. I've I've always found the quote a little, a little weird and a little stifled. I never even knew the context of it until I actually sat down and watched this movie this week, and that only made it a little weirder to me. Like I just thought thought the way he delivers that line is just slightly off to me, despite what I think is oh, an amazing really? performance. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, see, I, I thought the line reading was great, but I agree with you. It. Without context, it is a very weird quote for people to say. It's like one of the greatest quotes. <laughs> right. You know, um, actually, I have an Academy Awards poster. One of the the ceremonies, one of the Oscar ceremonies every year, they put a, together a poster in a program. And it's just the greatest quotes all over it. And this is printed on there um, along with, you know, Luke, I am your father. And, sure. you okay. know, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. And then one of them. <laughs> One of the greatest movie quotes of all time, according to the Academy, is just the name Frodo with an exclamation point. Now, I saw all the Lord of the Rings films. In fact, I own them. I own all the four and a half hour director's cuts. And you're telling me in nearly 14 hours of film, That's there isn't the a more memorable line than Frodo. So, is, is so like, sometimes just seeing a movie quote like out of context 
doesn't really do you a lot of good. Is like Rosebud on there too? Yes. Was it, oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, another, another one. But like, another one out okay. of context. I mean, you say any of those, and maybe short of Luke, I am your father. Like Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Sounds weird out of context. If you haven't yeah. seen The Wizard of Oz, you don't know what that means. Yeah, I suppose. But yes, so I agree. This one has always seemed like really that's one of the best quotes. But I thought in context it was real strong. And of okay. course we can talk about that scene and we can talk about the the uh, the film. I will also just say, I guess for the record and right up front, I was surprised that Rod Steiger won Best Actor and Sidney Poitier wasn't even nominated for this film. Correct. I mean, that was surprising to me. I, I, when, I, when I heard that Rod Steiger won or read that Rod Steiger won, I assumed then that Sidney Poitier was nominated for Best Supporting Actor – uh, which he was not. Um, he was not uh, nominated, not nominated at, at all. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, had he already won his Oscar by this point or not? For Lilies of the Field, I think so. We don't fact check, and there's no way to find out. We'll there's never no know. We'll never know. Repository of this sort right. of information. It's lost to time, which is a real shame. <laughs> it's, it's, that's that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> it's a crying shame. Yeah. Interestingly enough, guess who's coming to dinner? Also, a Best Picture nominee in 1967, starring Sam oh. Poitier. Yeah. Wow. So he had a good year. Maybe that was it. Maybe he split a bunch of ballots. Maybe people were putting him up for for both, and he got neither. Right. Yeah. That that does have a tendency to happen, especially that if does. you've already won one, and if he had won for Lilies, won for Lilies of the Field at that point. It, that that's a it's it's tough to follow if you're going to split yeah. your vote too yeah yeah well let's get into this one uh, I'll do a quick plot recap I'm going to keep it very very tight this is a movie that takes place in Mississippi in a small town called Sparta and it's a murder mystery uh, a, a wealthy white industrialist who has recently moved to town and who plans to open a a factory has been found murdered uh, the local police uh, arrest a man who turns out to not only not be the killer, but also be a police officer from Philadelphia who's in town, played by Sidney Poitier. And then the police go on to arrest a couple of other people for this same crime who also didn't commit it. Um, And basically the entire town is viciously racist. And despite that, and in some cases because of it, uh, Virgil Tibbs, the, the black detective from Philadelphia, solves the crime. And that's in the heat of the night. Yeah, I mean, those this this Mississippi town of police officers, it's really the Keystone cops down there. Like, they, they have no idea. I think that the movie poster is utterly hilarious. Like, it, it just says at the top, they got a murder on their hands. They don't know what to do with it. And I think yeah. it, it's so apt. They, they're... They haven't had a homicide in this town maybe ever. And so they're just, they're a fish out of water trying to figure this out. Well, for sure, the the local cops certainly seem like a bunch of rubes. But also Virgil Tibbs, Sidney Poitier's character, he's he's like super cop. He's like a forensic uh, expert. He can perform an autopsy. He can calculate the degree of the blow. Like he actually says that the the killer delivered a seventeen degree below, you know, a, a blow to the head with a right handed twist, and it's right, like, right. really, that's pretty accurate for <laughs> yes, like the, the detective from Philly to just come in here and you do. See, I mean, it's the utter counterpoint to these bozos yes. working in Mississippi. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. What? Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the movie? You know, um, 
there were things I really didn't enjoy about the movie. First of all, the, the movie is it's a tough watch because the racism is just staggering and it's everywhere and it's horrible and that's just tough to watch and it's just so ignorant and stupid that you're sort of you just can't believe it. And then I also just felt like the mystery wasn't very good and the clues that lead to the solving of the mystery weren't very good. And I didn't think like the rapport between Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger was all that great. So I just, I honestly, honestly, my gut reaction after I watched it was, I don't know why this was such a Mm. impressive film. Mm. Like I didn't hate it, but I just thought like, wow, this is a five time Academy award winning best picture that has been greatly lauded. And I'm thinking, okay, like I, I just didn't, but, but also because it is such a hard, hard set. Like it is so voraciously and viciously racist that it's just hard to, to sit through. How about for you? So I guess for me, number one, yeah, it is a hard sit and the racism is pervasive and, and gross and disgusting. However, I mean, the movie is still, I think, you know, a, I don't know if they had ratings back at this point or not, but it says not rated. I mean, I would have called it maybe a PG-13 based on what you ultimately do see violence-wise or language-wise. And quite honestly, like, the racism in this movie just had me sort of shaking my head and, like, you know, bowing my head at just the disgustingness of it. But I don't think it... It, it even touches what you see on nightly news anymore. So I, I guess for me, it's just so sad that this movie, you know, was exposing very important social issues 50 years ago that have not only not gone away, but gotten significantly worse. Yeah. And it's, I mean, in the town, I mean, this is, of course, this is Mississippi, but it's in the late sixties. So it's like, you know, 53 years ago. I mean, it's just, it's just shocking. I mean, of course, the, you know, the, the Virgil Tibbs, Sidney Poitier's character gets pulled into this because they find a dead body. Within seconds, the stupid police chief says it was probably a hitchhiker and tells the cops, like, <laughs> how many hitchhikers do they get in this small town? Right, the he main street his, was totally deserted. <laughs> right. He sends his one cop and just like, go look for hitchhikers. He doesn't find a hitchhiker, but he does find a well-dressed black man sitting at a train station and just arrests him because he's black. <laughs> Right. And then it starts. And then they realize, of course, that he's a cop. And But it's like, so the cops are racist. All the citizens are racist. The city fathers are racist. Sidney Poitier goes to see the big, bad, horrible cotton um, farmer or producer in town who sort of rules the town. He's disgustingly racist. They have a confrontation. Suddenly there's guys in cars overtly trying to, like, run Poitier off the road and beat him up or kill him. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And it was an int- there was an interesting scene too, the the one you referenced where he goes to see the, you know, cotton plantation owner. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the the scene culminates with Rod Steiger's character, I forget the the chief of police character's name, but um he Gillespie. Gillespie uh yells at uh Tibbs you know, you're no different than any of us because of like how he'd escalated this confrontation with the uh, with the white wealthy cotton farmer. Um, you know, so so they're they're I think trying in that scene to to make some sort of point as to how this is such a big problem all over the place. But it it was very quick and fell kind of flat. 
Yeah, that that line did fall flat. What didn't fall flat for me in that scene, though, is Poitiers goes into this uh, wealthy guy's greenhouse. And again, because he's like part CSI detective, he's already discovered that the the victim was killed somewhere else, transported in his own car. And whoever drove the car had been in a greenhouse full of orchids. Like he knew this already. And of course, they go to the the big house and the guy's got a greenhouse. He's got knowledge of everything in the world. Yeah. Yes. And he's like got really detailed knowledge of orchids and kind of baits the guy into telling him all about orchids and sort of proving to Gillespie that. You know, I'm holding the evidence that that syncs up with our victim, and then the the rich white guy slaps him, and Poitier immediately slaps him back. And my understand it was a really powerful moment. And my understanding is that was not in the original screenplay. It's not in the book. Oh. And Poitier like like made them guarantee that that scene would not get cut when the film was shown around the country. Because it was such a moment and I guess, you know, audiences gasped and black audiences cheered, but oh, it was wow. such a shocking moment. And and it is shocking, but it's also shocking because Chief Gillespie's standing right there and he just saw this white guy strike a police officer. He does nothing. He sees the black guy strike the rich guy. He does nothing. So it's like he's just he just does nothing for he's anybody. Al- he's along for the ride, yeah. Yeah, and then later the, the mayor tells him, wow, you know, our last police chief just would have shot that black guy and claimed self-defense. Like, I don't know if you're going to have a job after this. Yeah. I mean, it's like, really? That's what you'd want? I mean, it's just... Anyway, it's it's so over-the-top, ridiculously, almost cartoonish, but but not cartoonish. I mean, it's just awful. I was, I was hoping that you were going to say that, like, not only... Not... Sidney Poitier did not make them keep that scene in but like he just ad-libbed it or something like that and maybe that explains why the wealthy white guy afterwards is actually openly weeping yeah like he he cries after being hit by the guy it's fascinating that you say that he that that as an actor he had the pull and the sway to to force that scene to be kept in there i also learned that he required them to shoot it north of the Mason-Dixon line because he'd had yeah. some bad experiences in the South, even as a wealthy male actor in America and a famous guy uh, had had some bad run-ins with, I think, with the Klan. So he wasn't yeah. he wasn't going back to Georgia to shoot on location, that was for sure. Yeah, my understanding is they, they only filmed the cotton scenes in Mississippi because they just couldn't find a cotton plantation in illinois is where they they film the scenes the rest of the movie and i my understanding is they filmed it in the fall in illinois and of course it's supposed to be the dead of the heat of the night and summer in mississippi yeah so i read that many of the actors had to have ice chips in their mouth right up to the scene the moment where they filmed their scenes so that their breath wouldn't show because <sighs> it was so cold <laughs> They had to act like they're swelteringly hot, but if they were just talking, their breath that's would just ice chips. <laughs> right? I thought, that wow, sucks. that's, you know, that's movie magic for you. I'm a big mystery fan. I love murder mysteries. I love, you know, detective stories. And I just, while I, I jokingly kid, I mean, I was, I was enjoying watching Tibbs, you know, figure out that, um, you know, the, the guy wasn't killed where they found him, that he was killed in his car. He found the, the orchids piece. That was all kind of enjoyable, but then the rest of the clues that he follows are just so, like, circumstantial, and the fact that you've got, like, the big industrialist who's about to change the town and hire a bunch of black people, and you've got the awful, rich cabal of white racist a-holes that run the town, 
and the crime ends up being committed by some nasty, skeevy-looking cafe waiter who's knocked up his girlfriend, who's 16. It just sort of felt like, what? Yeah. Like, it just was so anticlimactic, and and even how he... it's It didn't give him a chance to really showcase that he was a great detective. There's all this racial baggage and all this buildup, and it's just like a total who-gives-a-rip murder the ending is kind of a kind of a dud like it just sort of wraps up and then within seconds of them getting the confession Tibbs is on the train and Gillespie just says he honestly says well bye bye (laughs) it's like that's the goodbye like that's how we're wrapping this up it just was so shocking like it just sort of ended I don't know what you thought I mean I I agree with you I think that there's this. I thought it was funny that in the plot you classified it as a murder mystery because while a murder happened, I don't think the murder has anything to do with the tension of the film whatsoever. I think all of the tension exists as to whether or not Tibbs is going to get out of this town alive. I mean, right. I think that that is and and the racial tension between him and the the chief of police. I think that that's where all the tension rests. I you take the murder out of it and you could have had the same movie. Like maybe maybe he's just a a jobs consultant coming into right. town to make sure that people of color are given equal opportunity at this new factory that's going to be going in. And like, right. it's the same damn movie. Like the fact that he's, he's a great uh, cop and, and a forensic expert doesn't even really further the plot an awful lot here. Like, yeah. you, like you said, that's it's fair. a lot of circumstantial evidence. I will say one other thing that I really liked about the movie and it's been a while since I mentioned it. The soundtrack I thought was great. The score was composed by Quincy Quincy Jones, Ugh. and I I love this style of music. A lot of heavy percussion, very of the era, retro sounding bongo drums. Uh, it, it it felt like a mid seventies movie to me. It definitely felt of the time. I'm kind of shaking my head at the soundtrack. There were several moments where it was just like a weird, like just a solo flute. <laughs> Just and not even like a good melody. It sounded like me trying to play the flute. Okay, like just sort of barely getting like a (laughs) and just like trilling on two notes and then a bongo drum going crazy. And it's like now this is barely music. I'm not ashamed to admit I already downloaded it on Apple Music. It is there. There is. Did you ever listen to this? Yes, what yeah, I love this. Do? This to me is the like the the Trent Reznor dialed in, uh, getting work done kind of music. Oh my gosh, I I just gotta disagree. Um, <laughs> I knew you but, would. I knew you. But would. I will say that I thought Poitier was awesome. I've always thought he's great in just like everything, and he always elevates whatever he's in. But Rod Steiger for me, I really struggled. I, I you know the fact that he won Best Actor. You know, he didn't get a lot of meaty moments. His character doesn't seem to have much of an arc. He's written kind of poorly. I mean, he arrests four different people for this crime during the movie. He just doesn't give a rap any which way. And I just I just didn't think I just didn't see what people saw in Rod Steiger's performance. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. On that point as well, um, I think my biggest complaint with the movie, other than, you know, it's a murder mystery that with very little mystery behind it, I guess I also feel like it's sort of I, I struggle to understand why Tibbs is even there helping. I mean, of course, there's a scene in the beginning where his, you know, he 
gets his chief of police back in Philadelphia on the phone and he says, you need to help them with this. But then they're kind of like, I don't need your help. And he's like, no, I'm staying. I want to help. And then he doesn't want to help. But then they call him back. And it's just this this game of cat and mouse that I didn't quite yes. really follow. Like he, he really has no reason to want to be there helping them. And then he gets sort of intent on helping them. And then Steiger's character tells him, well, I know you're not going to leave because you're smarter than any white man here and want to prove it or something like that. And I didn't get that vibe from from Poitier's character either. So I guess I just sort of felt like, why is this all happening? I, so I did get that. I did get that vibe from Poitier's character in that moment. But I totally agree with you that there's a lot of back and forth and there's the he's going to leave. No, they want him to stay. He's right. trying to leave. They're pulling him back. They want him to leave. He won't go. If you cut all of those scenes out, you could you could cut 12 to 15 minutes out of this movie. Right, right. And it's like, either get it done or leave. The whole will he or won't he, it just seems like... And the fact that it's so reversed so many times is just kind of shocking. Yeah. You know, while we've been talking, I will say one other movie that, that this did make me think of in the fact that it is a murder mystery, but the murder is so besides the point is... I don't know if you remember the movie Gosford Park... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was nominated for Best Picture like and a number movie, of other yeah. categories. Yeah, I mean, I remember kind of enjoying it, but the same thing. That was like, you know, the the British manor mystery, the upstairs, downstairs, whodunit, and whodunit is like completely irrelevant. It was just an excuse to tell an upstairs, downstairs, sort of pre-Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey type of story. And it got rave reviews and everyone loved it. And I just was sitting in the theater thinking, what about the mystery? Yeah. Don't we care who killed the? No, we don't care. And that's what I kind it of felt watching this. That. Like, yes. oh, I, what about the guy who died? We just don't. No, it's kind of besides the point. Okay, that's fine. I, I thought about it a little bit, like uh, Anatomy of a Murder, starring James Stewart as well. Again, oh, yeah, yeah, a movie yeah. where yeah. murder is in the title and at at the whole forefront of the film. Yet it's all about a courtroom battle, right? Like, I mean, it's a right. legal thriller as opposed to any sort of murder mystery, right? What's up with that? Can I just say right up front, what is up with Rod Steiger as Chief Gillespie and his gum chewing? <laughs> I have never seen a character on film chew gum more or worse. We've, we, we've, we've, we've eliminated one of our five questions for tonight. Well, I oh, think really? we can still ask the question, but yeah, I noticed it as well. I mean, it, it's impossible not to notice immediately. I mean, he's smacking that gum like... I, I, like anything I've ever heard in my life. Like he's never chewed gum before. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so crazy how he does it, especially in that first scene when he's standing over the battery body. Where like, if I was any of the people in the alleyway with him, I'd be like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, because it doesn't seem like you know how to chew gum. Yeah, because you're right. smacking it so crazily. <laughs> I mean, he's, his uh, lips are never closed. I mean, he's chewing it like cud, right? Like, I mean, it's. It's yeah. it's yucky. Yeah, yeah. It's yucky. Yucky is a great word. <laughs> what's what's up with the widow of the, you know, the murder victim from one of the opening scenes going yeah. to visit the mayor uh to talk about, you know, the the fact that <laughs> yeah. he's open. Is the mayor working in a service station? Did I miss he something? He works in like the like the tractor dealership. <laughs> well, why why is he, he there? He must either own it or he's a small town. He's he's a he's a mayor. He's got a day job. <laughs> Well, why is he working there? That is the weirdest thing. The weirdest place for an office. Yeah. 
what is up with Chief Gillespie in general? He looks so disheveled and nasty. He's wearing a uniform tucked into these like schlunky <laughs> boots. He wears blue blackers, which are just shocking. And then he wears this police hat kind of tilted off to the side. And he's kind of a heavier guy, but he's wearing like a like a form fitting uniform. He Ooh. just looks like an absolute mess. And he seems like a guy who kind of wants to command respect, but he just looks <laughs> god awful. Now, when I put in the movie, I thought that the police chief of police was played by Carol O'Connor, but it's clearly Rod Steiger. Was there a TV show called In the Heat of the Night that starred Carol yes. O'Connor? Okay, yes. was it based fact, on the movie? Yes, it's actually. So the I, I remember the TV show it ran for like six or seven years. Uh, it is a, a sequel. It is. It takes place after the movie. the The idea is that Tibbs leaves Philadelphia and returns home. I think in the TV show, his mother has died. His mother lives in Sparta, okay. Mississippi, bringing him back to town. And then for whatever reason, he gets sort of he gets offered a job by Gillespie to be like the chief of detectives. And the two of them, it's just crime. But but you now what I don't remember is in the movie here, what we that we watched, Sparta, Mississippi is a really small town. I mean, it's right. like a, a downtown, you know, two or three blocks long, it seems. I mean, this is not a metropolis where you need a chief of detectives right. and where you're going to have a crime every week right, right. worthy of a television show. So I don't remember if if the TV show, you know, changed locations or if it's just a bigger city. Like they actually moved uh, to Atlanta or something like that. Right, yeah, right. right. Somewhere you, know, okay. you could have a, a, but, a story. So you can like, actually draw like a physical connection between Carol O'Connor and Rod Steiger though, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're kind of cousins appearance wise, sure, I would sure. think. Yeah, yeah. What I also learned that I was surprised by, and I'm actually going to follow up on, is this is actually also the first of a trilogy. The next movie is called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. You're kidding me. No. And then there's one called The Organization, I think is what it's called. No, I think. It's fantastic. All, all three right. st- have Sidney Poitier as Virgil Tibbs. So he reprised this character two more times in movies, uh, neither of which was very well received as from a box office or critical uh, standpoint. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm Given that I've never heard of them. Up. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm interested in following up. Just sort of like, what did they do next? And yeah. now, because you mentioned it, I have to wonder just how bad saying the soundtracks are for those <laughs> so i know what you're getting for christmas <laughs> thank you soundtrack thank to you. they call me mr tibbs awesome what's up in that autopsy scene how how tibbs can come in and within five minutes like you mentioned before tell them exactly how this man was killed yet the doctor and the mortician standing there who apparently do this for a living are utterly clueless. Like they I mean, seem like they, they have they, no clue. They, they think it was a gunshot wound to the head, right? I mean, like they they are so far beyond understanding anything in their role as professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they have no clue, and and not, no one in this movie seems to have a clue about anything other than Tibbs. <laughs> right. And you know the the opening scene of the film takes place in this diner, and this cop is getting served by the counterman and the counterman is just disgusting and he's killing flies in the kitchen and he's like relishing the opportunity to kill big fat juicy flies with a rubber band it just it looks like you could smell that place yes yeah and it's just gross but i also didn't understand what's up with the dynamic between the the counterman and the cop where the the counterman like doesn't want the cop to get pie 
He's like his customer, why, why but he doesn't want to sell him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he's purposely withholding goods. And in fact, we see a scene later where he sees the cop coming and he hides a pie, tells the guy they're out. And then on his way out, he just sort of shows him, ha I had a pie this whole time. Like, what a freaking weird, what a weird interaction between those two characters. What is up with that? Yeah, do they have like a thing once and he's just trying to like just get his goat all the time? Yeah. Very yeah. strange. I also love, because I work in uh, investments in a highly regulated industry, I love that uh, Chief Gillespie gets the bank manager to come into the bank, go into the vault, and pull out all of the ledgers. They're like handwritten pieces of paper where people store their bank account information it gives him to give him the bank details of one of his citizens who also works for him as a police officer. And it's just one sheet of paper <laughs> that's like, oh, looks like he added $600 yesterday. Huh, that's interesting. Like, so he just violates, you know, all these privacy laws. And it's just I love so that. stunning. I love that about old movies. Like, you could get, like, like protected health information just on anybody by, like, asking a nurse at a hospital, like... The nurse just, is smoking in yeah, the hospital. It's yeah. such, such a different bygone era. Yeah. It's crazy. Buddy, are you ready for five questions? Yes. Let's get to five questions, buddy. We've got five listeners submitted questions here. Uh, question, question number one is, is one that we kind of already addressed. Watching the police officer chewing gum over the dead body in one of the opening scenes was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen on film. What is your greatest pet peeve? Um... Gosh, and now I can't think of probably being asked questions on the spot to which I should have a great answer. And normally I do, but I just can't think of it. Is it because you have so many or you just really go with the flow more often? No, I'm sure I have some pretty significant pet peeves. I just can't think of any of them. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm highly annoyed a lot of the time. All right. I get over it quickly. So maybe that does mean I'm easy going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Stuff bothers me for sure. Uh, Question number two. Uh, excluding the lead actors in this film, which character would you describe as the weirdest? And I really love this question because I could not figure out who was the most odd person in this movie. Like, there's even a scene where they're having sort of a meeting to discuss who are we going to keep on board on this case? And there's this, like, creepy guy that keeps rubbing his hands together and sort of smirking, asking Gillespie, like, are you... Are, are, are we gonna keep him around? Like he was really weird. I think yes. that the, the the guy who the the crime photographer who brings in the photos of the dead body was a yes. real weirdo. Like who is the weirdest? But you already referenced the the diner clerk was was just a total oddball. Totally a weird guy. You're right. The like city the council the city councilor the selectmen or whoever they're all really weird. Um, all the cops. Every cop in the cop shop is just a weird loser it's who's right. like kind of a troll um the the young lady who of course uh, sort of the the dolores the, the script is centered around likes to just walk around nude <laughs> and she may or may not have had sex in a cemetery <laughs> as a 16 year old with like a 30 year old gross sweaty cop i mean i don't know they're all just very strange yeah very strange yeah. uh question number three speaking of strange What's up with Dolores' relationship with her brother? Yes, very odd as well. Um, uh, her brother brings her to the police station to basically get the chief mad that one of his 
police officers uh, was a statutory rapist of this right. young woman. But I don't – so I don't understand why they did that because she was planning on having an abortion right. that night. So like why tell and then immediately have an abortion? And then – Unless the he really brother, had it in for that cop I, for some reason I that I can't quite understand. Guess, yeah. But then the brother also is so infuriated that Sidney Poitier's character is allowed to be in the room when she tells the story that he must murder him. Right. It's like, that's the guy you're really mad at? Right. Like, right. you're mad at the guy who's in there when she said something as opposed to, I guess, the cop who raped her? Yeah. I feel like you'd be more mad at that guy. Correct. Depending on how this brother-sister relationship goes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, question number four. When, when Virgil Tibbs explains to the murder victim's widow that her husband is, in fact, deceased, have you ever seen worse bedside manner from anybody no. ever? No. I mean, this guy, no. is di- he's direct to a fault, is he not? Yeah, it's like right in, there, right in her eye. Nope, he, he died. He's he, murdered. He barely smiles in the entire two hours of the film, right? Like, I mean, you. I think there's like one scene where, where he, he actually shows his teeth. But damn, when he's talking to that woman, like, there's there's no no question after that what happened to her husband. She she gets the short story, for sure. Right, right. She gets the cliff notes, right. Right. (laughs) And final question. This movie was widely lauded not just for its acting performances, but primarily due to the social issues regarding race relations. What recent films do you feel have been elevated to that level? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, especially given all that's going on these days. I mean, we just reviewed De Five Bloods, which was a Spike Lee joint. And last year we had Black Klansman, which was a Spike Lee joint that, of course, uh, thoroughly dealt with uh, a a number of these issues. Um, One was a period film and one was sort of a combination of of more current period films. So. Um, and Black Klan's think... been based on a true story to Five Bloods, more uh, fiction. but Totally fiction. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, so sad and so shocking that you can turn on the news or flip through any website right now. And this is the story. This is what's happening still 50 years later. Yeah. Uh, so shocking. But uh, no, I think there's a, um, I guess, a, a lot of these stories that we could point to as... as uh, continuing the narrative yeah all right well that's five questions thank you listeners thanks listeners well i mean i i guess i'd say i think the academy did a good job i I mean you know if you read reviews of this film from the time i mean people talk about this like it is one of the most powerful movies they've ever seen so again maybe in the moment it was almost like gentlemen's agreement where like the world discovered that anti-semitism was a thing sure and this was a movie where like oh my gosh racism is still such a thing yeah um, because when you look at other nominees from this year, Bonnie and Clyde, The Graduate, um, Guess, Guess Who's Coming, coming to, dinner. to Dinner, Cool Hand Luke. I mean, this was a this was a good year of movies. In Cold Blood. In Cold Blood, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um. So I I guess I'd say I guess the Academy got it right. Although I do think a lot of those other movies certainly have aged well and and have done well. I did also just real quick to circle back to the Academy. Two things I, I noticed when I was looking at the, the nominees and awards that year. Dr. Doolittle won Best Special Visual Effects and was the only nominee. Oh. 
Well, that's and interesting the, bit of trivia. Which I thought was interesting. And The Dirty Dozen won Best Sound Effects, and the only other nominee was In the Heat of the Night. Oh. Which, did you notice any sound effects in this movie? I, I guess I really didn't. No, no. I mean, what sound effects? I mean, the gum chewing? I don't know what they would have put in there. And then the fact that only one other movie won, and it was The Dirty Dozen. That's... Not... I mean, do you think Dr. Doolittle might have got nominated for best sound editing? Yeah. Sound effects and visual effects. I don't yeah. know. So it seemed like a weird year. I think it, I mean, it, I'm glad I saw it. I, I guess I, I didn't, I wasn't as blown away by the film as I kind of hoped Agreed. I would. And, yeah. and I've spent years waiting to see it. Uh, so maybe there just was a bit of build up um, and a little bit of letdown. <laughs> It'll teach you not to wait years to see a movie you want to see. Just, just rent it and put it in and, and, just, and make your decision. Get yourself out of your your misery. Just right. to get to it right away. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, what do we got coming up next, buddy? Well, coming up next, uh, we've got the new Disney direct to Disney Plus film Mulan. Months delayed uh, here and around the world, and we're going to check it out and see if it's worth the wait. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.